Hello and welcome to episode 103 of the Our Lady of Fatima podcast. It's a pleasure to be with you this evening. My name is Terrence M. Stanton. This is being recorded on Thursday, February 17th, 2022, and we're going to take a look at the second in a series of articles about St. Joseph by Kennedy Hall from the Fatima Center located at Fatima.org. This was initially published on Thursday, December 5th, 2019. This is entitled, St. Joseph, Lover of Poverty. As mentioned in the introductory article to this series on masculinity, after the model of St. Joseph, we will unpack some of the titles given to St. Joseph in his litany. We will not go through the titles in any particular order, As Advent has begun, remember this was written in December 2019, it seems appropriate to begin our series contemplating the virtue of poverty, which St. Joseph consummately demonstrates for us. In our society, Advent is erroneously viewed as the Christmas season. Our society still associates great joy with Christmas, but unfortunately, the austerity and penitential nature of the Advent season is all but a foreign concept to even most Catholics. The Christmas season actually begins at Christmas and goes all the way through February 2nd. And the footnote on this says, First, there is the prominent octave of Christmas, eight days of special solemnity, which all hold the same liturgical rank as the 25th of December. There are also the 12 days of Christmas, which conclude with the great feast of Epiphany, January 6th. In fact, in the first centuries of Christianity, Epiphany was the principal Christmas feast, and held greater importance than the Nativity of Our Lord. The Christmas season includes such notable feasts as the Circumcision of Our Lord, the Most Holy Name of Jesus, the Holy Family, and the Baptism of Our Lord. The Christmas season lasts 40 days and ends on Candlemas Day, February 2nd, which is also the Feast of the Purification of the Blessed Virgin Mary and the Presentation of Our Lord in the Temple, Fourth Joyful Mystery of the Rosary. Returning to the main body of the text, Mr. Hall writes, This is the season traditionally known as Christmas Tide. The four weeks leading up to Christmas, although weeks of great anticipation, are meant to be four weeks of penance and preparation for the Feast of Christmas. The four weeks remind us of the four millennia that the world waited for creation to the coming of Christ. And I was going to interject something here. Isn't it sad how on December 26th or December 27th, You see so many people with the Christmas trees out at the end of their driveway for the garbage man to come and pick up. And in reality, the Christmas season is just beginning then. But people start playing Christmas music on November 1st. And Thanksgiving is not even thought of. And Advent just becomes, you know, another time to play Christmas songs. Nothing wrong with that, but why not do it in the Christmas season? Maybe we should make up shirts that say, Make Christmas Christmas again. Because everyone acts like on December 26th, it's all over. And it's literally just beginning. So let's feast with the church and fast with the church. There's a beautiful rhythm baked into the liturgical calendar. 
Let's go with that, not with what the world's doing. Where, you know, Halloween ends and suddenly Christmas begins on November 1st. It's ridiculous. And it wasn't always like that. It certainly wasn't like that when I was growing up. In the 80s and 90s. You know, people would wait until at least, you know, after Thanksgiving to really get in the the swing of, of Christmas, even though that wasn't correct because Advent is just beginning at that point. But now people have moved it back all the way to the beginning of November and they start getting into this Christmas frenzy. It's just about buying things and having stuff. So let's get back to celebrating the true meaning of the Christmas season. It might sound odd that I'm saying this on February 17th, but let's prepare ourselves for next year. Keep that penitential nature of Advent next year and wait and lovingly celebrate Christmas on December 25th and 26th and 27th and all the way through Candlemas, February 2nd. That's the actual Christmas season. Let's not go by what society does, but what the church does. We always want to think with the mind of the church. Mr. Hall continues, To be an upright Catholic man in today's modernity is an exercise in being countercultural and waging an unremitting counter-revolution, striving to restore God's right order at every level of society. We must reject the trappings of the world in order to live a virtuous life. Throughout the month of December, we are encouraged to attend parties, drink, eat to excess, and spend thousands through credit cards or purchase financing. As men molded according to St. Joseph, we must reject this diabolical inversion of the true season of Advent. To love poverty does not only entail financial austerity. It is possible to be financially poor but have no concept of poverty, and conversely, it is possible to be wealthy and to understand the meaning of poverty. Poverty itself has no intrinsic goodness, and in many cases is a burden. However, the practice of poverty is a practice in virtue. The benefit of practicing poverty is found in self-denial and cultivation of the cardinal virtues. Great fortitude and temperance is required to adopt poverty in one's life. Furthermore, prudence is required to discern between necessary and unnecessary things, and almsgiving enables one to live a life of greater justice. I'd also like to interject here. Yeah, I couldn't agree more. There's nothing noble about being poor in and of itself. It's what sort of attitude do we have toward what we've been given. If we have an attitude that all of our time, all of our talent, all of our treasure belongs to the Lord, which it does, and we are merely stewards of it, that's the right attitude to have. So whether you're making $20,000 a year, $200,000 a year, or $2 million a year, you should never be attached to that money because it's not yours. It's all his. Everything belongs to our Lord Jesus Christ. But what are we going to do as far as being good stewards of that money? Are we charitable? Remember the woman in the gospel who our Lord praises. She was poverty-stricken. She gives all that she has. 
and the Pharisees want to be seen for donating their large sums of money and they want the finest seats at the table. Jesus has nothing but condemnation for them. And rightfully so, seeing as how he is the just judge, all of his judgments are perfect. He praises the woman, not because she's poverty-stricken. That in and of itself isn't noble, but it's her attitude about what she does have. She's willing to give it all away. She's not attached to it. You can have very little monetarily and be very attached to it. At the same point in time, you could be a wealthy person and not be attached at all to your wealth if you have the proper mindset and know that it all belongs to our Lord Jesus Christ. Every second we have of our life is a gift from God. All the talents we have, our intelligence, our athleticism, whatever other gifts we have, all come from the Lord. We didn't up and create ourselves. We didn't give ourselves our intellect, our athletic ability, or anything else. Our ability to work, our ability to go to school, it all comes from Him. And any money that we have, it's all His. It's our job to be good stewards. So not being attached to riches, that's the key. Kennedy Hall continues, St. Joseph demonstrated his love for poverty in the Gospels. However, I would argue that his greatest acceptance of poverty is largely missed. To be sure, Joseph embraced an austere life as a craftsman and humble father. The birth of Christ in a cave, the flight to Egypt, and his laborious occupation all demonstrate his detachment from worldly goods. However, his chastity, in my opinion, is the greatest demonstration he shows us of true poverty. Poverty does not only mean eschewing material things, but it is ultimately about sacrifice. We embrace poverty when we willingly deny ourselves the greatest of pleasures and comforts. Sacrifice is supposed to hurt, and it is ordained towards a greater good. Joseph embraced the call to holy purity in his unique marriage to the Blessed Mother. In doing so, he demonstrated a great sacrifice and love of poverty. He loved the mother of God more than any of us can ever understand. Yet he guarded her virginity and kept her inviolate. The children at Fatima described the Virgin Mary as the most beautiful woman imaginable. Some theologians and artists depict Joseph as an older man in an attempt to make his great chastity seem more feasible. But there is great reason to believe that he was a young, strong, and virile man. And there's a second footnote here that says, The great early church doctors, including St. Jerome and St. Athanasius, taught that St. Joseph was a young man and that he lived and died as a virgin. He is also presented as young in ancient Christian artwork. It seems the notion that he was an older man stems from a 2nd century apocryphal document going by the name of the Proto-Evangelium of James. While that work contains some edifying and legitimate traditions, it was also condemned on account of errors and thus explicitly rejected as a candidate for the canon of Scripture. It is quite likely that the Proto-Evangelium sought to present Joseph as older in order to safeguard 
to safeguard Mary's perpetual virginity. It claimed that the brethren of the Lord referred to in Scripture were Joseph's children from a prior marriage. However, this argument runs contrary to the more ancient traditions that these brethren were members of our Lord's extended family. The notion that Joseph was an older man is not held by the church fathers, makes far less sense theologically, and demonstrates less reverent piety towards St. Joseph. Sadly, it gained wider acceptance in the East and has become more popular today through that more convoluted passage. And in the immortal words of the late great Mother Angelica, old men don't walk to Egypt. Continuing from the article, which in fact makes his chastity that much more heroic? Referring to the fact that he was young, strong, and virile. St. Francis de Sales, Cornelius Elapide, Francisco Suarez, St. Alphonsus Liguri all teach that St. Joseph was sanctified and regenerated in his mother's womb prior to birth. He had perfect control of his passions and temperaments, thus was able to admire the beauty of Mary, yet still practice perfect continence. None of us have been sanctified in our mother's wombs like St. Joseph, but we have been baptized. Through our baptism, we were regenerated and given the graces necessary to live a life of virtue and perfection. St. Joseph cooperated with the graces bestowed on him by God, and his love of poverty forged a character more ironclad than any man on earth. The daily renunciation of earthly pleasures was a norm for St. Joseph. He entered into a special marriage with Mary, already having cultivated his chastity through a supernatural love of poverty. Let me interject again. Isn't this so much different from what the world thinks being a guy should be? You know, being macho, being really popular with the ladies, having a lot of women. When true masculinity is just the opposite. If you're called to the vocation of marriage, it's being married and being devoted to that woman for life. And that devotion starts, or should start, with devotion to the perfect couple, the Blessed Virgin Mary and St. Joseph. Who was more adept, who was more gracious, who was more loving in their marriage than Our Lady of Fatima and St. Joseph? We need to get back to looking at and studying the Holy Family because the main attack in the world right now is on marriage and family life. Attacks against chastity, attacks against modesty, attacks against self-control. That has all gone towards destroying the marriage culture. It was rare. Now, my parents grew up in the 1950s and 1960s. It was very rare to know anyone at that time whose parents were divorced. And now... It's commonplace. And so many people don't even bother getting married. They just live in sin. We need to get back to a culture that values marriage. 
that puts a premium on a husband and a father and their children, that being the fundamental building block of our society, which the Catholic Church has always taught. The demons have been attacking marriage ferociously for decades now. We need to get back to a culture that values marriage and sees marriage for what it is. The lifelong, indissoluble union of one man and one woman ordered towards procreation, bringing new souls into existence and raising them and training them in the Catholic faith. To finish up the article here, Mr. Hall says, Our culture desires that men be effeminate, soft, inconstant, pleasure-seeking, and useless. In order to obtain a level of virtue worthy of heaven, we must learn to love poverty. By giving away our resources to others, we will build a greater trust in God's providence. By rejecting common comforts, we will strengthen our resolve against the temptations of the flesh. Why not approach this penitential season of Advent with a desire to love poverty like St. Joseph? Start by praying for him every day for this grace. Be heroic in your generosity and deny yourself daily. Abstain from Christmas parties, sweets, and liquor during Advent. There will be time for measured celebration in the proper season of Christmas, which begins on the 25th of December. An excellent form of self-denial is fasting from entertainment and sports. Instead, one can spend more time as a father teaching and interacting with one's children or an acts of service for one's wife that serve the family's greater good. Make the effort to fast from food and technology. Start taking cold showers and reject the consumerist approach to Christmas shopping. These things may be difficult, but precisely because of that, they will go a long way towards helping men be less effeminate. Remember, the Holy Family celebrated the first Christmas in a cave. Therefore, let us also seek greater poverty as we await the coming of the Messiah. St. Joseph, lover of poverty, pray for us. So although this was written prior to Christmas in 2019, we can take this, especially as men, speaking specifically to the men in the audience, and apply this towards the upcoming penitential season of Lent. Once again, feasting with the church, fasting with the church. Advent is a time for fasting. Christmas is a time for feasting. Lent, once again, is a time for fasting. And then the Easter season will be a time for feasting. Let's do that. Let's resolve to make a major sacrifice this Lent. Offer it up for the conversion of Pope Francis, for the relief of the holy souls in purgatory, for those suffering from autism, and in a very special way for the consecration of Russia by the Pope and all the Catholic bishops of the world so that Russia will be converted and we will have a period of peace. Let us offer up some concluding prayers now to Our Lady of Fatima and St. Joseph. Oremos. In nomine Patris et Fili et Spiritus Sancti. Amen. Ave Maria, gratia plena, Dominus tecum, 
benedicta tu in mulieribus, et benedictus fructus ventris tui, Jesus. Sancta Maria Mater Dei, ora per nobis peccatoribus, nunc et in ora mortis nostrae. Amen. Prayer to St. Joseph for Purity. St. Joseph, strong spiritual father, defend me against sins of the flesh. Jesus said, Blessed are the pure of heart, for they shall see God. St. Joseph, terror of demons, protect me from lust, immoral desires in my heart, and impure actions in my body. Help me not to offend God. Here and now I chain myself to you, and sacrifice everything for the good, the true, and the beautiful. I love you, St. Joseph, and I thank you for being my spiritual father. Amen. Virgo potens, ora pro nobis. Sancti Joseph, terra daimonem, ora pro nobis. In nomine Patris, et Fili, et Spiritus Sancti. Amen. Thank you very kindly for listening to episode 103 of the Our Lady of Fatima podcast. My name is Terence M. Stanton. Please share this podcast with everyone you know. Goodbye, and God love you. <laughs>